0: Hi everyone. I'm Bernard Hickey. I'm the co-host of the Hoon, a weekly webinar that we do for paying subscribers to the Kaka. Peter Bale is the other co-host in Auckland today. Great to see you, Peter. Bernard, hello. You'll be incredibly
1: surprised to know that it's absolutely pissing down with rain in Auckland again. And I'm very worried about my
0: cliff clifftop uh, home oh, tumbling into it, the sea, but just... I hope not. It just never rains, but it pours. And that's right.
1: It's, that's right. I actually blame you for moving to Auckland uh, as a result, because
0: didn't, we didn't have this until you moved to Auckland. And of course, now you're in Wellington. I bet it's a gorgeous day down there, is it? Actually, no, no. Um, it, it's reassuring to me that I've come here and the weather's shitty. It's great.
1: Oh, good. Uh, but, you're, but you're 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 going to be bowing out early because you're going to the wedding of our dear friend Mark Daldo. That's
0: right. I'll um, um, be the
1: second in, finest j- journalist in, in New Zealand after second. you.
0: <laughs> you're right um no mark is absolutely sensational um i'm very uh, uh i've i've hired a few people in my uh, career as have you peter and mm-hmm. uh i think i um, even hired you at 1.2 which was a huge exactly, achievement by the way you're exactly right thank you boss that's mm, good um, no, no, never never call me that please no, no, <laughs> no um i hired mark adulter into newsroom in 2019 as a 23 year old who had never worked in a newsroom in New Zealand before but um he's gone on to do extraordinary things amazingly productive uh, lovely young man and speaks um, to reo. speaks to I reo. i think has a degree has a degree in maori history maori history Is that right? exactly right yeah. and um actually wrote a big deep deeply reported feature in uh, the a Student magazine at Victoria University, that was published a month before the Christchurch attacks. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: he's been he's
0: been remarkable. In which he reported that um, there was a real risk of uh, far right extremist violence in in New Zealand, and um, he's gone on to be the the main uh, scoopster in that sort of far right um, mm, uh, area.
1: And he's and he's borne an incredible amount of shit for it uh, exactly. because he's Jewish and he gets the most appalling anti-Semitic Baltic. So please give him muzzled off for his wedding. Absolutely. Now, we don't all know all journalists in New Zealand, but we, we either have hired or slept with most of them. Uh-huh. Now, um, Bernard, uh, do you want to tell everybody that you're, in fact, leaving, leaving the podcast early this evening, in fact, quite soon, because you yes. are going out to... Um, watch Mark stand on some glasses, I imagine that's what he's going to be
0: doing. Not Isn't his own glasses, but uh, no, the glasses, no, glasses, glasses. No, the glasses will be smashed. Um, actually, wonderful ceremony I've just come from. I'm going on to the reception. Uh, a combination of Toreo, Jewish and Christian. It was just lovely, and I wish all my, uh, give all my best uh, regards to Mark and yeah, and, and mine, please. What's, and, who's, that,
1: who's that picture of behind you, Bernard?
0: Oh, Ah, he... Don't know actually. Oh, I thought I, it was going to be
1: Michael Joseph Savage. Oh,
0: no, it's called, is
1: it? Called, oh, is it maybe? No,
0: no. I think it's a New Zealand um, person. And there's a there's a bottle of wine for anyone who can work it out. Uh, I'm in I'm in a building on the waterfront, so yeah, I will, interesting. I, I will, do, I will work it out. There will be a reverse search I can do. So, um, good, so,
1: we wanted to talk about, oh, somebody says it's Reeves, who was the former Governor-General, Peter oh, Reeves. Oh, my league. Yeah. We have yeah. such
0: an informed audience. We do have an informed audience. He was a lovely chap. Wasn't he
1: am I right in remembering that he was the bishop at one point as well?
0: Exactly. I think he might yeah, he was might a super chap, the first um, Maori Governor-General. Mm. Yeah. So, now, um, I'm, Bernard, I'm here for about 15.
1: Yes, yeah. so. Yep. so we're going to do. Let, let's let, let me do the rundown since I've since I've sure. organised this bit of it. We're going to talk to you about New Zealand things, particularly the uh, Reserve Bank uh, rate increase and so on, and what that might mean. And then at about 5.15, uh, 5, 5, around then, uh, our lovely uh, Professor Robert Patman from Otago University will come in, and he and I will talk for the remainder of the. Um, session about Ukraine, a year on Ukraine, where we go from here. Yes, you have spelt it right, Beverly. It's D A L D E E R. Um, so we'll do that with Robert. Robert's going to hang in, um, and I will, would really love it, actually, if people would. I think we sh- would. I'd like to use sort of maybe the last fifteen or even twenty minutes of the show to do a Q and A uh, from the audience as much as possible. Of course, I've got some pre-prepared questions for Robert Patman, but. If you could send them to us through the QA rather than the chat, it'll make it much easier for me to collect them and collate them. But so thanks so much for that. So, Bernard, you're, you're trusting me with the car keys, Dad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've got the mm. car, car keys.
1: Yeah, it's odd. the car, car <laughs> keys for the hoon. Excellent. It's going to be like home. It's going to be like home alone.
0: Yeah. So, i um, keen to talk about. About um, the local stuff this week, because you're going to yeah. you're going you're to do so. The first, we
1: uh, we 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 had um, Jared from Kiwi Bank on. He was one of the few economists who came out and said that the central bank should not raise rates. Uh, they did. You know what was what was that all about? And it really seemed to be they just said it's all about inflation. It's our only goal. Blah blah blah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the beauties of our uh, monetary policy system is that uh, it's supposed to look through shock. So that means if you have a a one-off that happens in the world or here that you're pretty sure is a one-off and is not going to be repeated, you can decide not to let that change your decisions. And it was the reason that in 2020 and early 2021, even though inflation, particularly through early 2021, was starting to rise, central banks said, "Well, this looks like a one-off at the moment. This looks like a supply shock from COVID. It doesn't look like it's flowing through to the rest." And then, of course, we had the the start of the war, that surprised everyone, that was another one off. Mm. And then it all sort of came together. And suddenly what had been one offs became a bit more permanent. And then central banks had to react. But in this case, because it is a one off, and it is going to create some inflation, uh, we've already seen it's quite a lot, it's pro- going to be
1: quite a long term one off too, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it-
1: the cleanup is going to be taking a while, the investment is going to be taking a while.
0: Yeah, when you look at what's um, uh, what's happening to food supplies, to supplies of cars, we've, we've lost about 10,000 cars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a 10, 15% uh, of the total number of used car imports coming into the country. So there's some fears mm-hmm. that used car prices might rise. Um, you know, rental costs for generators, all of those sorts of things, some building materials. And the Reserve Bank is estimating this will increase inflation by about 0.6% in the first couple of quarters. Mm. They're going to look through that. And what they're essentially saying is we've got an inflation issue. We we were going to increase interest rates anyway, and we've decided to look through this. So they're going for 50 basis points. They had actually considered going to 75, and that surprised a few people. And what it means is that the Reserve Bank is sort of on track to push up the official cash rate to 5.5%. But remember, this is already priced into mortgage rates, so we haven't actually seen mortgage rates increase. In fact, what was actually interesting on the day of the rate hikes, BNZ put out a special rate of four point nine nine percent. Good price, Lord! Um, it's it's mortgage brokers to mm-hmm. to hawk uh, around, and we haven't seen any more fixed mortgage rate rises. And uh, it, it was the also very now interesting how soon the... before. Sorry,
1: but 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 um, Adrian or Adrian or also. Um, sort of deflected some of what, we, what ex- are clearly expected to be criticism about this by, by also making a rather little, di- a little
0: dig at the banks for
1: running too high margins,
0: right? That's right. Um, he actually called on two mm-hmm. groups of people to be mates for the Reserve mm-hmm. Bank. Firstly, the banks themselves. He said that they hadn't put up term deposit rates as fast as they'd put up their mortgage rates. And that meant that their profit margins were expanding. We've seen mm-hmm. that in some of the results from the banks in the last couple of weeks. ASB, for example, reported another record profit and it increased its um, net interest margin by about 30, points. It's always points. the way, isn't it? Know, the,
1: the, 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 the margins expand on the way up and then they take an incredibly long time to come down.
0: That's right. And, um, and so having a crack at the banks there. He also had another crack at the banks on the debanking of regional areas, a mm-hmm. real problem in the last couple of weeks with people not getting access to cash, yeah. all the Post system dependent on not just the main's, yeah. mains power, but also the uh, mobile and landline networks that go through there. And suddenly it's dawned on everyone that you can't do anything if you don't have power and you don't have a, a telco connection. Mm. And so even if you've got a generator, you're still stuffed. And he I cares. thought it was
1: extremely interesting, Bernard, the way I mean, Shane Rattie wrote that slightly irritating tweet to Elon Musk and and people <laughs> rightly said, actually, just bugger off down to Noel Leeming and buy a couple of um, Starlink things, which I looked up there, about I think $520. And I believe the subscription is actually about the same as I'm paying for my monthly uh, broadband mm-hmm. here in here in Ponsonby. But um, it was pretty impressive to see how quickly those Starlinks were dispatched and the role of the iwi in getting them out in particularly into these areas in in Tairawhiti and so on and I'm very interested to see I think we should do something at some point about the the economic power and effectiveness of some of those um iwi groups
0: yeah no there were uh, very quickly uh uh, things flown in helicopters hired uh, generators put on helicopters food all of that stuff and uh that was really encouraging to see some of the non-governments um connect up with government Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, What I think it'll do is uh, reinforce the pressure on the banks not to pull out of some of these regional areas. And also, frankly... To have redundancy systems for their um, ATMs, and yes. for FPOS machines, yeah. and it, it just reinforces too the um, any suggestions that that, that um, the Reserve Bank might pull back from the use of cash and go to a cashless society. That's yeah, I was quite happen. struck,
1: Bernard. I've got I've got you know forty four litres of water in my in my cupboards, and I've got you know a grab bag that I haven't unpacked properly yet, uh, but I've only got about fifty dollars in my in my wallet, and you know that's got dust and moths in it anyway. Well, I need to yeah, go and get well, I need to go and replenish
0: it. Yeah, no, we've we've stocked up a few uh, notes of cash. Um, it, because of inflation, it's it's obviously <laughs> it's going to depreciate in our wallets, but uh, it can be useful in a storm. So that was that was interesting. The other thing the Reserve Bank did was was a subtle nudge at the government that if you are going to spend plenty of money on repairing and rebuilding in Tetara, Fiti, uh, uh, Hawks Bay, Northland. Uh, you better not do it with too much borrowing. You better not make too much of a fiscal stimulus. Mm. You might want to reprioritize some spending or maybe even do a, a, a yeah, well, actually tax release.
1: Jim Bennett's asking us about what, what other areas of government spending could be curbed. But I, I'm just not sure that there are any at the moment. And I, and I also wanted to, because I heard, who's that guy? It was a former national, Stephen Joyce, talking mm. bollocks the other day about the extent of government borrowing and so on and government spending. And and government spent our government spending as a proportion of GDP is significantly below Australia's, and our debt is still at the you know the lowest quarter. And I don't I don't mean uh, you know this is not a not a speech on behalf of the Labor Party, but you know this we 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 don't have heavy levels of government indebted, indebtedness that would prevent us acting in this way. And it seemed to me. Sorry, carry on, answer that because Jim wanted an answer
0: on that. Please. Yeah, yeah. So so um Joyce is the one who actually wanted to reduce the debt limit for New Zealand from 20% down <laughs> down, down towards 10 to 15 percent. Um and uh that would have been a real issue for New Zealand during um not just COVID, but uh during these during the latest um weather event. And when you actually look at how much space the government has with its current limit on debt. Currently, net debt is about 21%. The new limit set is at 30%. Now, that doesn't feel like a lot of room, but actually... The current trajectory is for net debt to drop to 15% over the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. That means there's effectively 15% of GDP of headroom of yeah. for the government under its own, its own self-imposed limits. And mm-hmm. they are self-imposed limits. They are not limits set by the markets. The markets would be quite happy for us to go up to 50, 60%, no problem at all. Yeah,
1: I think, I think Bernard, we need to, we, you know, all of us need to do something about it. I mean, Paul Kennedy's making the point that talkback radio, you know, is all about debt. I, I went to buy something the other day at a bicycle shop and the guy said, oh, yeah, we're oh, no, good, but I can't, you know, do something about the terrible levels of government debt. <laughs> and it's just bollocks. I mean, there's lovely Robert, by the way. Now, do I have to promote him to a panelist or is, or
0: is he already there? No, no, um, he's there and we can see him and hear are him. You right? how are you?
1: Hi, very good, very good, Robert. Now, just so, Bernard, one of the other things about us, how do you think it's I, I don't want to get into the political. We're just doing a little bit of domestic politics first, <laughs> Robert, before you and I get onto the juicy stuff, <laughs> uh, because um, Bernard is at Mark Dalder's wedding. And is about to step out and and um go and watch him crush glasses under his feet, which I hope he's got some decent shoes on. Um, mm. Bernard, what what do you think about the politics of that? It seems as though Chris Hipkins is being the Chris Hipkins that we saw during COVID and pretty effective and pretty fast. And also having putting Grant Robertson as a as the minister for um bad weather seemed to be a very sensible call.
0: Yeah, I um, mean, he's been a reasonably steady uh, pair mm-hmm. of hands for the first couple of weeks in charge. You know, straight into the into the uh, thick of it with a big crisis. Yeah, um, great pictures of him on on helicopters jumping in and out. Um, and in public, he's been direct, simple, clear. Um, uh, offered plenty of support to people. There's been a couple of little hiccups which have made a few people grumpy. Um, mm-hmm. He essentially uh, pushed back at those who said there were. Uh, public order issues, looting, yeah. and, um, pe- and pe- gang members um, brandishing guns at checkpoints. It's not... And there were, exactly, Well, at yeah. least there was in one case, yeah. yeah I mean, but yeah. on the other hand, he's got buddy David Seymour,
1: you know, my little mate with the Lotus, uh, or a caterer, saying, uh, you know, let's bring in the New Zealand Defence Force and we'll, you know, we'll show them the pointy end of a gun.
0: You know? Yeah, and that's not what the police want, or actually people in that area. They sure want the want the army there, but not to mm. keep order. They want them to build bridges and clean up, and they are. So that's yeah. um that's good. It is amazing I, the number of assholes who do emerge in this sort of situation. Uh, it's really disappointing. You want people to be um pulling together and standing up and uh, in moments of crisis like this and to give the opposition leader. So um, Christopher Luxon, he's been pretty good in the last couple yeah. of weeks in saying, yep, if we need the money, we can borrow it, we can afford it. And also, you know, uh, the government's doing the right thing with its disaster uh, relief and uh, various efforts on fixing things at the moment. Um, there was one other little hiccup in parliament. Um, and this is relevant to what we're talking about with the size of government. Uh, Chris Hipkins said that the size of government now was smaller than when the government came in in mm. 2017. Turned out this is not true. Uh, um, to be fair, I, that's, a, that's be, a bit of a. Yeah. To be fair, and he apologised for it afterwards and corrected himself and said, "I own that." But to be fair, the government's forecasts are that the size of government as a shared GDP will drop from around about 31% now mm-hmm. to under 30%. And Labor have said they they deliberately want to keep it. Below thirty percent of GDP. Funny enough,
1: yeah. Sorry, Gun. Sorry, you you made the point point.
0: earlier that New Zealand's government, as a share of GDP, is significantly lower than, for example, the Mm -hmm. Australians and the UK, where the UK spends more percentage of GDP on their health system than we do, and um, for worse outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I'm afraid also let's 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 do a special one on that because of course
1: the United States spends more of its GDP Uh, on health for much worse outcomes, remarkably, unless you're unless you're yeah. extremely wealthy in which case it has fantastic outcomes
0: yeah and and this is the core issue here how how big do we want our government to be when we try to deal with climate change mm. and do not just the mitigation but the adaptation well and that's funny of the you should we say that at the but, moment. and I told her that I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, do what I so often do is
1: you know take a 20 minute drive to somewhere where I don't live and then pretend that I understand it entirely but I went down to Mungery the other day to see you know who and I was incredibly struck by the number of houses that are being built by Kaiangaora down there, some of them in floodplains, which is a very big problem it's on the same streets that flooded. But the the extent of building by Kaiangaora, Aura, uh, which is the you know, state housing authority in Auckland, is flabbergasting, whether it's in Waterview or in Mungery. And I thought that was you know, Kiwi Build may have been an incredible cock-up, but there is uh state provided public housing being built, it seems to me, at an extraordinary rate. And I can say yeah. that just from, you know, a one-hour drive down to Mungaree and back. I certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, going to stay it. down there. I had to come back to <laughs> Hunbei. you
0: know. Hoon uh, You're absolutely right. It has been a massive achievement over the last um, three or four years, that ramp-up. We're talking thousands of new houses. They are supporting the creation of an ecosystem of building houses at much greater scale, mm-hmm. and they are much more medium density. And so we're building up a group of contractors and suppliers of materials and systems which are designed not for single standalone house with the three garages. Yeah. It's for um, walk-up apartments, townhouses. Yeah.
1: Um... Yeah. And I think we, we should we should do another. I, I was looking at also just in a t- totally different area of the market. Let's get your guy from Simplicity back on one day and let's oh, get yeah. the Ockham guy. Mm. You know, and mm. I know they're doing two different ends of the market in a sense, but um you know, I, I tend to be more on the David Seymour side about the side of the government, talk, but but I was impressed to see that. So let's let's do that. Now, yeah. you need to get off because, yes, yes. you know, Robert and I need to talk about improp- uh, really important global affairs. Now, can yeah, I yeah. just also say I do have a gin tonic. Oh, fantastic. It's, a, it's, the, it's the Great Barrier Island one, which comes in a bottle which looks like a uh, kina, which is very oh. pretty. And I've taken the precaution of... Um, making myself two of them just in case <laughs>
0: you'll need it so yeah. if i'm
1: completely plastered at the end of this robert will know and i and i i've decided actually we're going to send robert a, a bottle of gin from our reservoirs in order because we you know he's been such a stalwart this year absolutely oh, thank you. the reservoirs thank you reservoir.
0: I, i'm gonna i'm gonna head off now thank you yeah, very have much. a lovely time yes yeah. yeah. thanks thanks and, for and, giving me uh, the keys dad i'll try not to crash got, the bloody thing. you've got you've got the kaka keys yeah excellent <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye so, bye. Robert, see it's it.
1: really lovely to see you. And, I, you know, Thank you. I, I feel as though there's a sort of valedictory thing going on here because it has been a year since, you know, well, we, we were talking to you in the run-up yeah. to, um, to to Ukraine. Um, but this is, you know, today is the anniversary. Of course, it's not quite the anniversary yet in uh, Kiev, but it well, actually it almost certainly is. In fact, it is about the time they started um, coming in, when they came out, started coming in from Belarus. Um yeah. It's been a pretty extraordinary year. And I I, I was listening to another uh, foreign affairs expert today saying that she thought we would still be talking about this in a year to come. What are you thinking?
2: No, I don't think so. I, I think the next year, of course, my crystal ball and my predictions yeah. uh, are no better than anyone else's. And I've already falsely predicted that Ukraine might win by the end of 2022. So, uh, I you know, I, my predictions are not uh, flawless, but I, I do have a strong sense um, that, that the next year is going to be split into two phases. Mm-hmm. Um, if the conflict continues, and everything looks like it will, despite a Chinese peace plan, um, I think the first phase, which we're witnessing now, is the renewed Russian offensive, infantry led. Mm-hmm. Um, not air led. Sorry? Not air led. No, Mm infantry-led, with all the consequences that means for those poor, mobilised Russian soldiers. Um, And I think the Ukrainians will be digging in in a defensive posture to try to absorb some of the offensive and also Mm. um, inflict high casualties on the Russians in the process. The porcupine porcupine strategy. uh, Yeah, but they are in the process of absorbing a, quite a considerable infusion of weaponry. Mm. So I think, Peter, the second phase will come when the Ukrainians feel they've got on top of this new infusion of weaponry, which includes enhanced missile ranges as well as Leopard 2 tanks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when that will be, but the, the head of, or the deputy head, Budanov of Ukrainian intelligence, signaled it would be around about June. So I think the for you know, sort of the first phase, where the Ukrainians will be holding on, trying to minimise the damage of the renewed mm-hmm. offensive and inflicting as much pain as they can on the Russians in the process. I think the second phase will be much more aggressive from the Ukrainians. Yeah, um, the counter offensive. I think they will target Crimea. The the Budanov has already said in as many words that you, he used the word that the phrase that Crimea should be, will be, liberated by August. Uh, What I'm seeing from these comments, and by the way, this guy accurately predicted the counteroffensive. So he said the counter. last year he predicted the Ukrainian counteroffensive against the Russians. We saw the counteroffensive, that counteroffensive, which resulted in the capture of Kherson and Kharkiv. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He predicted that. Do, do you that. think
1: they might have another go at Kurson?
2: Oh, they lost it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but the thing, the thing is, they, as we said before, the Russian army has major problems which they do not be able to seem to be able to solve.
3: Mm.
2: And uh, there's a problem now. There's a problem now. Poor training for these newly mobilized troops. There's also um, a supply problem. The Ukrainians are increasingly able, and particularly with these enhanced missile ranges. At the moment, they're using HIMARS, mm. which have got a range of about eighty kilometres, and they—that was one of the reasons they were about to prepare the ground for the counter, successful counteroffensive in the last quarter of last year because they knocked out a lot of the Russian um, supply dumps, ammunition yeah. supply yeah. dumps within a radius uh, within the eighty within the range of the eighty kilometres of the. which takes you
1: not takes you quite a long way back into those into those self-declared Russian republics.
2: but they're now getting a range from the Americans of (laughs) 150 kilometers and that means that they can extend the operations to much of eastern Ukraine Uh, it means that Russians are going to have to withdraw much of their supplies further and further back and um Yeah, the Budanov was very interesting in an interview he gave recently when he Mm. hinted—he didn't spell it out, but he hinted that the 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 liberation of uh, Crimea, as he put it, uh, would probably spell the end of Putin in power. Yes. So, if you're and you you know the Ukrainians, I don't think want to get at the moment. They've got no chance, no choice because they're on the ropes facing this renewed offensive. But I think they will try to retaliate and um, respond in a very strategic fashion, mm. and they, they, their calculation is: it's a political, strategic calculation. If they can liberate Crimea, uh, that would be a symbolic blow that Putin could or just make. even cut it off, as they did with the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. and that would complicate Putin's ability to protect the lands that he claims he's annexed in the mm. east. Because mm. it's so, so interesting quite, that they. I, I think it's two yeah. distinct phases. Yeah, without turning us
1: both into armchair, armchair generals with our pipes and cravats, um, the um it wouldn't surprise one if 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 there was another sort of bold uh, drone, uh, navy drone type attack as we've already seen once in Sevastopol and, and also on the, the Kerch Bridge.
2: Yes, I, I think the Ukrainians have done have done their homework, they've read Clausewitz. they know the value of surprise. Mm. Um and there's been some interesting reports this week with drones causing panic amongst Russian air defences um, in certain parts of eastern Ukraine. So, yeah, I, I think, and, the, you know, going forward, the Americans just in the last hour have pledged another two billion yeah, on top of the two billion, two point five billion 2.5 billion they pledged at Ramstein, the meeting we discussed before. Mm. Um the American American base in Germany, Biden has, seems to be really digging in. He he, you know, the, the, his visit to Kyiv. Hmm. What did you make uh, of all of that? I mean, apart from, I mean, personally, I find him
1: an utterly unconvincing speaker. Um, but d- and and I and I, you know, he, he, obviously there is the Hunter Biden problem, and there's the Burisma yeah. and you know, Biden has you know, there's some problems there. I mean, but good on him for going.
2: I think you know, I agree with you, Peter, he's not the most impressive spea- speaker, and he's not particularly articulate. But you know what, sometimes people can be very ineffective in politics without those attributes. And you know, we've had some very articulate people in politics, yeah. who have not actually made sound decisions. That's right. And some extremely
1: inarticulate ones in the United States who, who we just thank God we're not actually... Well, you could also get them.
2: inarticulate yeah. and also ones of unsound mind. I think... Mm. I think overall Biden has and I know you covered this in your spin-off article. I think he showed a very shrewd uh, approach to handling Putin. He yes. through the, the you know the use of intelligence and making it public, embarrassing Putin and putting him on the back foot before the invasion mm-hmm. began. Again, I, I think Biden's experience and remember he's got a lot of foreign policy. Yeah, experience, absolutely. And, um, yeah. I think yeah. this is coming into play to some advantage, and of course, the Americans have just warned the Chinese
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, that they must not arm uh, the Russians. Um, that seems to be quite serious warning to the Chinese, because as, as we all know, the Chinese rise to superpower status has been based on access to markets such as Absolutely. the United States, where they sold yeah. five hundred and fifty-six billion dollars worth of goods last year. Uh, access to the EU. It wasn't just Biden or other American officials warning the Chinese. The EU, um, the High Representative for Foreign Affairs, uh, Joseph Borrell, also warned the Chinese. Absolutely. That they would be taking very tough measures if China armed Russia. So I, I, I wonder,
1: yeah. um, uh, Robert, because people want to want to talk to you about China as well. And I just want to go back no. a second. I wonder if that tactic this week of um, Anthony blinken the, the the Secretary of State and and others saying that they knew China was you know that they were giving a warning that they were yeah. and then you've got Spiegel de Spiegel's today saying that a ch- Chinese company is talking about supplying a hundred uh, suicide drones to Russia which would yeah. change the balance the if we go back just not to make not to turn this into a version of my spin-off thing but if we think about this past year, the American use of intelligence and the transparency with which they've shared it has been both an incredible warning to Putin that they've got unbelievably good sources, which I find flabbergasting, and maybe also the same message now to China.
2: Yes. And I think they're using preemptive use of intelligence, making it public before Mm. the event. Mm. Um, Quite interesting. And, you know, I think it's, I'm skeptical that the Chinese are going to arm Putin because uh, I think they would stand to lose too much. uh, Let's be quite clear about this. The Chinese economy, if it was, if it, if its exports were restricted in the United States and the EU, the Chinese economy would be seriously compromised. And that would have political implications for the leadership because, Mm -hmm. you know, The Chinese ruling Communist Party has an unofficial deal with the Chinese people, which is you let us monopolize political power and we deliver economic growth. Now, I know that's been compromised by Mm COVID-19, but the Chinese have been making great play of the recovery uh, in the last six months or so of the Chinese economy. All that could be put at risk if they armed Putin. Why would they? They regard Putin as a junior partner, and China looks at the world in a very hierarchical fashion. So why would they put at risk um, their hard-earned access to Western markets, including, by the way, not just EU and US, yeah, yeah, but also Japan, the yeah, biggest yeah. economy so in the world?
1: Thinking about this past year, what were your if you if I forced you at, gun, you at gunpoint, which I, I am more or less going to now, what are the two or three, th- three or four critical points when you've thought? Here's a moment, because for me, as I said in that spinoff thing, the moment was that, was that use of intelligence, the, the sort of credibility of the intelligence, particularly after the Iraq fiasco uh, and, and Afghanistan, that, 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 that you know, it was a new way of doing business. The attack did come. Yeah. What, I, I what think are the there
2: three or four points? Several highlights, uh, l- reflecting on the year. I think the first one is when the initial blitzkrieg failed. Because mm. that confounded not just the Russians, they failed to take Kiev, yeah, and that you know many Western commentators were talking as if Russia could not lose, would mm. never be taking a backward mm. step. It was only a matter of time before Russia overwhelmed the country, and I think that was quite a a big shock to many Western observers as also to the the Russian leadership
3: mm-hmm. that they
2: were actually driven in retreat out of places like Butcher, and then yeah. came the second yeah. shock how the Russians had behaved yeah. in Butcher.
1: So quickly, too. You know, yeah. It wasn't like they were in the. You know, the so the Russians were effectively like yeah.
2: forced back to the rump area of eastern Ukraine where they'd been active since 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a, quite a shock. Um, and you could say it may be a third major contour or parameter of the war was the counter-offensive again yeah um the russians seem to be caught cold by that um and, and they didn't show much defense and, and initially it
1: was very much with what ukraine already had
2: yeah the good big question facing us i suppose going forward peter is have russia's learned from their military mistakes and i'm not sure the capacity is there no um let's make most Let's be quite clear about this. If China does come in on the side of Putin, I know the Chinese are conflicted about this because part of their scenario, a bit of a nightmare scenario for them, is for regime change in Moscow. Yes. um, And a NATO victory. And if you like, a resurgent liberal democracies around the world. That's what they fear. But any attempt to prevent that from happening... Will could actually really seriously harm their economy. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's just We'll come back come back to China in a minute. Let's just yeah. let, let me just keep you on this idea of what was the other because one of the other ones for me was Mariupol. Yeah. Was the was the was the way Mariupol was turned into a kind of mini mini Staling stalingrad for three months.
2: Um the bridge. What what about for you? Yeah, I thought the I I, I think well, I, yeah, I think Mariupol, and also the tenacity of the Ukrainians. Mm. The the other thing that's really, I suppose, surprised me, and it, it, it's an interesting development, is that Putin's mass artillery tactics, because that's what he adopted as soon as the initial blitzkrieg failed. He went back to the tried and trusted tactics that the Russian army used in Syria, yes, which was to make no distinction between the civilians and the military targets. And, and just to The problem end. with that is, and you, you just mentioned Mariupol, that city's been effectively eliminated, mm. been reduced to rubble. Um, the problem with that is that there were lots of Russian speakers in Mariupol and Kharkiv mm. who are now completely alienated from Russia. And uh, okay. in, in, in a sense, Ru- Ukrainian nationalism has actually gained momentum.
1: Yes, yes. So it's and it, and it actually seems so much more robust. I mean, the the um, what about the um, grain, the, the agreement on getting grain out? I mean, it was Turkey was very instrumental in that Guterres because I've actually wondered. It feels to me like I, I don't. Again, I don't have. A, it's hard to know with the UN Secretary General, but I have a very low personal opinion of uh, Antonio Guterres because I feel I as think though he's, he's been in a very difficult absent. situation. Mm.
2: You know the you the the. The position of the Secretary General of the UN is almost impossible because it, that, that position has no structural power. The people who have the power are the five permanent members of the Security mm, Council. Mm. And he has no army of his own. He has no real full executive clout. He has to go cap in hand to the permanent fire for anything, really. And so he's sort of rearranging the deck. Should, he be, should he be running some kind of...
1: Maybe he is. I mean, should he be running some kind of background diplomacy, shuttle diplomacy, as we used to call it with Kissinger?
2: Well, I'm not sure how much scope there is for diplomacy when one country has completely torn up the rule book.
3: Mm.
1: These are some questions I want to ask you when we get to the audience with the sure. questions at the end, too, because it, it is um, – there's a there's a – I don't know whether you've seen it yet, and I, I, um, I can put a link out, but I, I think – most people may not have an FT. The FT has done an absolutely extraordinary long read today, which and one of the many, many gems in it is that the Russians were shooting down significant numbers of their own aircraft, both yep. fixed-wing and helicopters, and that led to an understandable reluctance for fixed-wing aircraft people in particular to fly anywhere near their own, their own troops, and that may account for a very significant part of the uh, the air war that, that never was, that never
2: really happened. Like, clearly, I mean, everybody expected them to have control of the skies. Mm. And it just hasn't and eventuated.
1: That, that same um, FT piece has the most... I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable piece because it's probably 4,000 words long. Who's it by? It's um, by Henry Foy and a number of other people. Henry Foy is one of their Moscow correspondents. But um, it requires you to really trust the FT because it has... Lots and lots of uh, unattributed quotes in it, but it has a stunning quote from Lavrov, who essentially indicates that he didn't know that they were actually going to invade on February the twenty fourth. I think that's believable. And it says (laughs) it says that he told some people in a meeting in the Kremlin next day privately. He Putin has three advisors Ivan the Terrible, Peter the Great, and Catherine the Great.
2: (laughs) Mind you, this may be Lavrov. Preparing for the post preparing Putin's his parachute power. yeah trying yeah. to protect himself he's been one of Putin's biggest defenders, so um, we don't know how you know we can take some of his remarks with a pinch of salt
1: yeah the, the other the other thing that was it was extremely interesting and I, and, I, and I wish i'd known about it yesterday, but I'll put it maybe in the spinoff thing next week is apparently one of the reasons why the uh, blitzkrieg failed so completely was that um, Putin was relying on um, Viktor Medvedchk. Who was the leader of the opposition as as then was, uh, to have had some fellow travellers in a fifth column, who were painting signs on buildings in order to point the right way for the Russians and failed to uh, help them secure that airbase. And apparently they were getting so much money that they would you know take the bribe and then go off to the Ukrainian security police and say you know this guy Medvedchik is 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 not exactly on our side.
2: Yeah, I mean it's interesting. A commentator recently pointed out that corruption has, of the scale that Russia experiences, uh, the Americans calculate that corruption accounts for about 20% of Russian mm, mm, GDP each year, mm, mm. And, and according to some strategic analysts, it's been one of the reasons, the key reasons the mm. Russians have militarily underperformed. Well, if
1: if, if, if if Putin's chef, Mr. Prigozhin, who of mm. course runs the Wagner Group, has also been siphoning off um, you know, for the, for, the, for the meals that he supposedly provides for the troops. Okay. You know, it's little wonder that they're, you know, going in with plywood plywood guns and so and on. And then so there's
2: the re, reported episode about the, the tires that the minister or people <laughs> <told the> minister <laughs> of yes, sold exactly. off the good German tires and replacing the mm. Chinese ones. Yes, which of course which, worked, which we remember worked, so worked brilliantly in the month. And then you had that 40-mile no. convoy, which was just like dead ducks, really. The, the yeah. Ukrainians were just able to pick them off.
1: So just just you you talked about China and I pulled you back to the to the mm. past year. I mean the Chinese role has been extraordinarily interesting. They put yeah. out a statement today at the UN, uh, which I don't know whether you've seen, or it came to me through the UN, which I don't know whether you've seen, but it is not is by no means a ringing endorsement of the relationship with Russia, and it says that this agreement must be settled along the. Uh, the, this war must be settled along the terms of the uh, within the within the boundaries of the Charter of the United Nations, which you know does not allow the invasion of another
2: of another sovereign country. Um, what what do you think China is 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 doing here? It seems to be playing multiple games. It's saying that um, it's false. You know, it, it has said in the past that mm. Ukraine is a legitimate security issue for Russia. Uh, it's also blamed the West. It, in the last 24 hours, it took the, the Putinist view that it's Western assistance to Ukraine what's inflaming mm-hmm. this conflict, mm-hmm. um, and it also claims that it's neutral. Well, that's stretching it, isn't it? I mean, it it doesn't seem to be neutral. But maybe it
1: could. Maybe it could. I mean, if if she goes and invests political prestige in visiting Moscow, maybe he could pull off something really remarkable here, and we'd all have to celebrate it, wouldn't we?
2: Well, I think the problem is that I think, as I said to you before, the Chinese have a very hierarchical view of the world. They will take note of American warnings mm. because they do recognize they're number two after the Americans are a number one. But they will expect any peace deal with involving the Russians for the Russians to take Chinese advice. Mm. So Mr. Putin doesn't see it that way. Yeah. Um, for example, it's now become apparent that Mr. Putin did not tell the Chinese, yes. the extent, and the Chinese were shocked when Mr. Putin apparently gave instructions to try and seize Kyiv. The Chinese were under the impression it was a consolidation of where the Russians were already. Exactly. Active, hence the term special military and, and operation. They
1: were extremely and, unhappy, unhappy, by, by yeah. that, that a number of Chinese citizens were caught and up. And they've been uncool. very
2: unhappy about yeah. Mr. Putin undermining. Um, the whole principle of sovereignty and territory integrity, because the mm. Chinese case over Taiwan and Hong Kong, to some degree, rests on those principles. So yeah. it's very difficult to read the Chinese position at the moment. I do think there's divisions within the Chinese leadership. Mm. But they could emerge very positively from this.
1: I mean, provided that Spiegel story about the 100 drones is not, does not I'm turn out sure. to, to be
2: correct. It could turn out very well. Will Mr. Putin him, withdraw they? back to Russian borders because mm. China tells him to? No, because most Russian the, the relationship between China and Russia historically has been one of suspicion. Yes. And conflict. And I don't think that Mr. Putin has any intention. If he can get the Chinese to support some sort of diplomatic compromise, as he would see it, whereby Russia can retain annexed territory. But, you know, Mr. Putin knows if he accepts a Chinese-brokered deal which sees Russian troops going back to the international recognized boundaries of Mm. Russia, that's probably the end of his political career, Yeah, maybe the end of his life as well. Mm. Mm. So he can't accept that. He can only accept some sort of territorial annexation. Some sort of deal which gives him access to territory yeah and he's
1: not going to get an he's not going to get i mean I was listening to to another podcast which I occasionally do uh today uh talking about you know an agreement which would allow the Russians to retain Sevastopol in Crimea, and of course, if Sevastopol the military base were enough they would this this wouldn't
2: have happened no and the ukrainians uh, you know we keep talking about deals between the China and Russia. U.S. and, you know, mm-hmm. people like this. Actually, I think Biden said something quite wise a few months ago. He said the Ch- Ukrainians were, have oh, made the sacrifices. Their country is the one that's been invaded. They will determine when it's over. And he always, and something Jake Sullivan said in the last 24 hours, which is really interesting, yeah. the National Security Advisor, mm-hmm. he said the Americans will do whatever they will give the Ukrainians, whatever is necessary to achieve battlefield success. Yes, I think the Americans have good intelligence. Uh, they they are not shouting it from the rooftops, but they think Putin's army is very vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. I I, I thinking
1: about it this week. I I decided not to try and parse any of that
2: um, Putin speak, speech
1: speech because it was so mad. The whole, you know, bringing in pedophilia and gay marriage and the destruction of the West and uh, and and what, what was the other one? A um, a non-gendered god i mean it was really weird weird stuff but a a friend of mine translated for me a, a russian a, a ukrainian uh tweet from a chap, from a journalist there called um Ilya Krasilich and he he summed up putin's speech this way one he didn't start this two he started nothing three but he could start something four everything that's bad was done by the west four everything that's bad was, oh yeah, everything good was done by him but he did nothing. Six. But he could. Seven. Because he he does only good things while the West does all the bad things. Eight. But he could do bad things too, but he doesn't. You know. So there goes, there summary, goes the use I? of there goes the use of tactical weapons and everything. I mean, he's 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 running out of weird threats to to make, isn't he? Oh,
2: he's looking desperate. Mm. And also with the Chinese of, I think he, he can't use nuclear weapons. That that game was classic putin bluff you know is he going to really convince the fsb and the the russian military yeah this his military venture which they were not really consulted about which they not necessarily approve or are going to give permission and and participate in a use of nuclear weapons in ukraine which will inevitably hit the Russian population. Okay. So uh, we, we're going to
1: devote the rest of it, if you don't mind. And this is so kind of you to stay on, especially since you don't have a gin. In fact, I have I have two glasses of gin here, just as a, I've um, been you know, having a cup of tea. The, the real one and an emergency one. Um, I think we've answered Mr. Anderson's question, which was um, it would be great to hear from the prof. Uh, how much of the Chinese support for Russia is just China poking at the US, and particularly Taiwan? I mean, I think you've explained what you think the China position is at the moment, which is hard to read, but also not wanting a ship fight.
2: Yeah, and as one we, thing as to we that call that, it at that, university to that excellent question. Um, mm-hmm. I know we've discussed this before, Peter, but I think it it bears reemphasizing. emphasizing uh, so Zachariah, uh, the CNN chap, yep. he said months ago from an American perspective, the best China strategy was to defeat Putin in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the problems that the Chinese are wrestling with at the moment. They're worried that a crushing defeat will Putin will give the West psychological confidence in dealings with Hong Kong and Taiwan. And it's sort of resurgent West. Both Putin and the Chinese leadership have shared one thing in recent years. They spoke about the failing West well that's mm-hmm. not the case and so yeah. i think that is a you know a factor so interestingly china perceives a really big linkage between its own foreign policy aspirations and what is happening yeah. in Ukraine. yeah
1: yeah it 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 benefits much more from a posit- from a from a positive uh world environment in which you know people aren't russia is not covered by these sanctions although of course it's doing incredibly well by buying discounted russian oil
2: Yes, but the, as I understand it, the, the Russian economic situation is deteriorating quite markedly. Um, and I don't know if the FT article you read, that long piece, had anything about that, but there's there's quite a of Well, of course, Putin said it's
1: like, only 2% decline in GDP, but, you know, I don't think yes. we can
2: believe a word that Putin said. Well, yes, but he's also the Russian banks are pump um, uh, are, are doing what the German Germans did immediately after the First World War. They're mm-hmm. printing ever more money, mm. which is dangerous.
1: Mm. So, uh, Beverly asked a good question, which we we sort of addressed again. But we'll do, so so one of the Putin again did not refer to the use of hint at the use of tactical weapons, but he did say that they were going to pull out of the start of the remaining uh, elements of the start verification and so on. I can't imagine that Russia's got the resources right now to launch uh, into into an expansion of its nuclear it's arsenal.
2: just another attempt by Putin to frighten people in the West. Putin wants the West to self-deter. He mm-hmm. wants them to be frightened of Russia. And he, he he wants the West not to support Ukraine. This is an attempt to drive a wedge between Ukraine and its western supporters
3: mm.
2: uh, you, Russia will suffer by, by pulling out of that treaty mm. and it's no and he's right in the sense that, it, 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 that the start treaty is in both side, both the United States and russia's interests, but just because he's initiated a, a withdrawal from it. That shouldn't have the West shaking in their boots.
1: No, no. And David Mooring asks about, and, and and this sort of goes, I guess, to the question you were talking about about the current porcupine strategy of being, uh, you know, which is the pretty much the Israeli kind of. Well, actually, no, the Israelis are somewhat more, more, more reactive porcupines. Um, is is are the Ukrainians holding off until summer for their offensive?
2: I think Ukrainians are absolutely determined to liberate all their territory and they're going to be patient about it, but decisive when they move. Mm -hmm. And they knew that they did want this infusion of weaponry about two months earlier. They made that quite clear. The the, the package they eventually got. And we don't quite know what's,
1: we don't quite know what's got there and hasn't got there yet.
2: Yeah. But the Americans have now just topped it up with another 2 billion. Mm. So it looks like they're, they're basically belatedly getting much of what they wanted. Yeah. And, um, that that it will be the sort of weaponry that the Russians don't have an answer to, mm, mm. and they're already militarily getting outgunned by, in, in in infantry terms, the Russian troops are no match for the Ukrainians, mm. and, and and the Ukrainians have been trained by. Well, many they ways seem agile. Come.
1: They seem super agile. They've got that thing of the of the non commissioned officer class having yes. having um, discretion in what they do. And you know, there's also those marvelous stories about the degree to which they've adapted various um, missile systems to you okay. know old Soviet aircraft that they, you know, probably should not have been able to adapt to, but have but have managed. It. One thing I wanted to ask you about, which I think I know the answer to myself, but it keeps coming up, which is the, the and in fact, Elon Musk, I know, the other day, st- stupidly shared a tweet about the, <laughs> about the number of um, NATO and American deaths in Ukraine. So far as I are you know you're getting
2: interference. Uh sorry to interrupt you, Peter. There's a big music concert here. Is oh, that, is that? Do they have music done down Is it interfering? Though? I thought you I just listened to the bag, window.
1: bagpipes all the time. No. Excuse fine. me a it's second, not.
2: I'll close the window.
1: No, no. Yeah, I just I just thought everybody in Dunedin was basically
2: Scottish and listened to bagpipes all the time. Well but, I'm not sure bagpipes are in mass amongst the students at the moment. I they no no yeah.
1: um the idea that there are thousands of NATO advisers in, in in Ukraine seems to me to be fairly ridiculous. And and we would most certainly know if, if, if you know, 1,200 of them or so had been killed.
2: Yes, I think the claim they've been killed is ridiculous. I'm not sure. I think the Americans are deeply involved in the planning of the counteroffensive. Uh, the Ukrainians, though, will listen to the Americans, but they won't necessarily do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think the Ukrainians are the beneficiaries of incredible intelligence support.
1: Yeah, including presumably from the New Zealanders who are working in yes. their own target yes, acquisition. Yes, the New and, Zealanders and they've
2: extended their training agreement till twenty twenty three.
1: Well, there is the training agreement, but there is also which is you know which is really about surviving in an, as an infantryman. But it's also the analysis you know at NATO headquarters, the kind of work that they do here under Five Eyes. Yeah. Um, You know they're they're probably being doing. I would I would be very surprised if they're not doing both post post target analysis and and potentially target identification.
2: Yes, yeah, I I think they're doing all that sort of thing. So Ukraine is getting a lot of support from NATO countries as well as Five Eyes members, Mm -hmm. and um, that could. Take its toll.
1: But Can I go back? Funny enough, last night I had a, I had a, a sort of tiff with a, a Serbian New Zealander um, who was, uh, you know, arguing about the, the case of, um, you know, encroachment on Russia and the, you know, Slavic victimhood. So I want to ask you a couple of very basic questions that I tried to address in my spin-off thing, but they keep coming around, and I think for the, it would be helpful. So, and I sent you a note about this, if you can still see the chat because I didn't want to sort of just totally spring it on you. So Nazis, and Putin says he's denazifying Ukraine. What is the truth or otherwise about the Nazi element in Ukraine?
2: There was certainly, there has been Nazi elements, maybe affecting 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. The Azov regiment started off as quite an extreme right. But let's be quite clear. Most Mm -hmm. countries... Including liberal democracies have extreme right yeah, acts. skinheads and arseholes. Yeah. yeah, even New Zealand probably does. Um, Ukraine is not not, not on this not on this podcast. We don't. No, but it, it, all I'm saying is that um, Ukraine is led by a democratic leader, elected leader who is Jewish, whose family several ge- uh, at least one you know uh, going back several generations. Suffered terribly mm. during the Nazi invasion and the Soviet Union, um, and it's ludicrous uh, to say that they they had to intervene to denazify the mm. country. Mm. The Azov Regiment, by the way, is not huge. No, well, it's also
1: been molded into the uh, to, into the yeah. new the, the Azov Azov and uh, also uh, Regiment you know, now.
2: Yeah. The, yeah. I think Ukrainians have made. I think they got prodded by NATO. Um, to make sure that Azov Regiment had taken steps to denazify itself. Mm. So mm. the other thing is, why has Mr. Putin been hanging out with Nazis if he's so frightened with them? Mm. I mean, let's be quite clear. Which Nazis been has he been hanging out with? Oh, alternative for Deutschland. Yeah. yeah. ADF. Mm-hmm. They actually are the FDF. real job. If you, yeah. you know, they yeah. gave them 50, they gave them 50 million in 2016. Mm. So let's be quite clear about this. Mr. Putin has been hanging out with right-wing forces around the world and extreme rightists as well. He also has a Nazi agenda, anti-gay legislation. Mm -hmm. His speech yesterday could have been delivered by a Nazi. Yes,
1: it was very weird, wasn't it? So when
2: he's talking about denazification, you know, you you have to say he seems to be talking, you know, in a gibberish because – in a sense, his own track record undermines that claim.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny. My uh, my friend Natalia Antalava from Coda Story, which is a wonderful website uh, that specialises in Russia and disinformation, wrote about this this week, and she said, "How quote How do you actually cover political speeches that present up as down and black as white?" And that you know goes to the heart of journalistic independence and sort of so you just you cannot. Uh, It's very difficult to report on. That's exactly why I didn't bother passing it. But going back again, critical question about the origins. Did NATO push too far to the east? And did did they break an agreement
2: that there would be no further step beyond Berlin? I think in 1990, it has been reported in both the West and Russia, there was a verbal understanding that NATO did not intend to expand east after the unification of Germany. Mm. The problem is that Mr. Gorbachev, who was actually the leader of the Soviet Union, said before he died, there was no such agreement. Yep. And secondly, it was, certainly wasn't written down. Thirdly, but the most important factor now, NATO enlargement wasn't driven by Washington. Yeah. It was driven by the countries of Eastern Europe, Absolutely. particularly after the storming of the Russian parliament By people who wanted to recreate the Soviet Union in October 1993. That frightened a lot of Eastern European countries.
1: And and to use that as an excuse, and then end up with Sweden and Finland joining NATO, trying to join NATO.
2: Why would you invade (laughs) Ukraine if you were worried about NATO being on your borders? In fact, you'd want to keep out of Ukraine. If you really wanted Ukraine as a buffer state, why invade it and take your forces closer to the boundaries with NATO
1: yeah exactly so look Paul Kennedy has asked a couple of good questions but he's asked a really silly one and I'm actually really pissed off with the story this week because I even saw the BBC doing it which was about this um, metal sphere found on a beach in Japan which suddenly became a kind of have you seen the story suddenly became a conspiracy story and even the BBC reported it this way, and can I just say, Paul it's total bollocks, and we don't do bollocks on the we may talk bollocks from time to time on the hoon, but it is a um it's a shipping it's a um a, a mooring buoy for a super tanker it is not is it? unfortunately but you know, I thought, will. I thought it might have been a giant fugu, which would be One mo- thing the most is
2: disappointing though we've had no reports on the wreckage retrieved from the three vehicles which were not blown, no well shot so, down.
1: so yeah so i i did read quite a good they've actually all been lost supposedly you know it's too <laughs> hard to find it's too hard to find them and well, like the satellite on... reconnaissance no yeah, exactly
2: so. it's, it's, it's high resolution been... they can yeah. watch people wear a cup of tea in moscow exactly or gin or gin in
1: hoon bay yeah and with that yeah. thank you so much um thank you everybody for participating i think we've answered all the questions and i really appreciate it robert you've been a a stalwart of the last year, and I hope you'll be a stalwart you, of the next we year. We started I hate discussing this before but, the invasion. Yeah, I hate it when I see you working for doing work for other publications because you're just marvellous and I, I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. And thanks very much to the audience. Pleasure. And Bernard will fire
3: this up um, when he's finished the wedding. See you guys. See you, audience. You. Thanks Cheers. so much. Bye. Thanks, Peter.